0: I want to invite everyone to open your Bibles to the book of Genesis. We preach through the books of the Bible here, uh, and uh, we're, we're walking through Genesis together, and today brings us to chapter 24. And in chapter 24, we're almost halfway through the book of Genesis. Uh, and it's actually the longest chapter in the book of Genesis, which is I don't know if you saw the email or my Facebook post um reading it beforehand would have would have been helpful for you but we'll still read uh some of it uh some of the chapter uh, together but it essentially what chapter 24 is is a love story. Uh it may not be the kind of love story that we're used to. Usually when we tell stories about how we met our spouse, well there's usually a lot less camels involved and we make sure that we're much more distantly related, right? Uh, we don't go looking for our spouse at our cousin's house. Um, but it is a love story with customs that were appropriate at this time, and this shows us something important. There's a show called The Good Place, and I've talked about it before. It's it's essentially about the afterlife, uh, where we go when we die, and how we avoid going to... The bad place and how we get to the good place. And uh, when the characters in the show finally get to the good the good place, uh, it's at the very end of the show. They finally get there and they're thrilled to be there and they're in awe of all this cool stuff. So, like it shows, like uh, bowls full of candy that give you this energy that you had when you were twelve. Uh, there's lotion that when you put it on makes you feel like your grandma's hugging you. There's uh, headphones that you can listen to that tell you every nice thing that everyone has ever said about you when you weren't around, right? It's that kind of stuff, and they're just in awe of it. I mean, you can meet all your favorite heroes, granted if they were good enough to get in the, in the good place. But they soon realize that the good place isn't what it was talked up to be. Even though everything is good and they can get whatever they want, whenever they want it, they become bored with all of it it turns out that everything you could ever want isn't enough to sustain your happiness. It helps for a little while, but soon the joy fades. And that's actually really insightful for a TV show. We humans need something more, something bigger that's going to sustain us. So what does this have to do with Genesis chapter 24, Isaac and Rebecca? Because our faithless hearts need something bigger to keep us faithful. Our faithless hearts need something bigger to keep us faithful. So what this chapter shows is that the marriage of Isaac and Rebekah becomes a pattern for God and his people. Israel largely failed to understand this. right? Rather than display steadfast faithfulness to God as their spouse, they always were seeing the grass as greener on the other side. They failed to understand that commitment to God is impossible. What, with all the temptations and promises of the world, if not sustained by the God of commitment? The faithfulness of God Himself becomes that big transcendent thing we need to remain ourselves to remain faithful ourselves. In other words, what I'm trying to say is that this, this chapter shows us how to be a faithful spouse. Um, but yes, yes, this will help you in your marriage to you, your husband or wife, what have you. But most importantly, it shows us how to be a faithful spouse to God. Uh, and this comes with a daily intimate familiarity with this God and his word. In fact, this chapter shows us five elements that are central, right? If we should not be fickle, but faithful. For a lifetime. So let's read, we're going to read verse 1 to 28, chapter 24. Now Abraham was old, well advanced in years, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. And Abraham said to his servant, the oldest of his household, who had charge of all that he had, Put your hand under my thigh, that I may make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and God of the earth, that you will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites, among whom I dwell, but will go to my country and to my kindred and take a wife from my son Isaac. The servant said to him, Perhaps a woman may not be willing to follow me to this land. Must I then take your son back to the land from which you came? Abraham said to him see to it that you do not take my son back there The Lord the God of heaven who took me from my father's house and from the land of my kindred and who spoke to me and swore to me To your offspring I will give this land He will send his angel before you and you shall take a wife for my son from there But if the woman is not willing to follow you then you will be free from this oath of mine Only you must not take my son back there So the servant put his hand under the thigh of Abraham his master and swore to him concerning this matter then the servant took ten of his master's camels and departed, taking all sorts of choice gifts from his master, and he arose and went to Mesopotamia, to the city of Nahor. And when he made the, and he made the camels kneel down outside the city by the well of water at the time of evening, the time when women go out to draw water. And he said, O oh Lord, God of my master Abraham, please grant me success today and show steadfast love to my master Abraham. That, war, those words right there, steadfast love is actually really central to this chapter. Show steadfast love to my master Abraham. Behold, I am standing by the spring of water, and the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. Let the young woman to whom I shall say, Please let down your jar that I may drink, and who shall say, Drink, and I will water your camels. Let her be the one whom you have appointed for your servant Isaac. By this I shall know that you have shown steadfast love to my master. Before he had finished speaking, behold, Rebecca, who was born to Bethuel, Bethuel, the son of Milcah, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother, came out with her water jar on her shoulder. The young woman was very attractive in appearance, a maiden whom no man had known. She went down to the spring and filled her jar and came up. Then the servant ran to meet her and said, please give me a little water to drink from your jar. She said, drink, my lord. And she quickly let down her jar upon her hand and gave him a drink. When she had finished giving him a drink, she said, I will draw water for your camels also until they have finished drinking. So she quickly emptied her jar into the trough and ran it again to the well to draw water, and she drew for all his camels. The man gazed at her in silence to learn whether the Lord had prospered his journey or not. When the camels had finished drinking, the man took a gold ring weighing a half shekel and two bracelets for her arms weighing ten gold shekels and said, Please tell me whose daughter you are. Is there room in your father's house for us to spend the night? She said to him, I am the daughter of Bethuel, the son of Milcah, whom she bore to Nahor. She added, We have plenty... Plenty of both straw and fodder and room to spend the night. The man bowed his head and worshipped the Lord and said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not forsaken his steadfast love and his faithfulness toward my master. As for me, the Lord has led me in the way to the house of my master's kinsmen. Then the young woman ran and told her mother's household about these things. Still not even uh, halfway through the chapter there. Uh, but this chapter begins with Abraham giving some very specific instructions to his, his servant. Uh, and to an Israelite, these instructions actually wouldn't have sounded all that strange. They would have made a lot of sense. And it's here that we see the first element of faithfulness, familiarity with God's will. Familiarity with God's will. The instructions that Abraham gives to his servant are about finding a wife for his son Isaac, but the wife must not be from the land of Canaan, right? He says, "Go back to to my clan, to, to the land where I'm from, my my father's family, and find a wife uh, for my son." Now, reason that it's Prince Harry and Meghan Markle are estranged from the royal family are because Prince Harry married an outsider, right? He, it, the social classes still exist very stringently in the United Kingdom to this day. And so because Meghan Markle is an outsider, the, the royal family largely shunned her. The royal family does not marry people like her. They marry people in the same social class. And, and that might seem like what Abraham is trying to prevent. But, but it's actually more important than that. In fact, in fact, you can tell it's serious. Because what does he do? Verse 2, put your hand under my thigh that I may make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and earth and God of the earth. God, God of heaven and God of the earth. I mean, that's a, that's a, that's a mighty big oath that Abraham is making this servant take. I mean, we, we don't even like to say like, I swear on my mother's grave because that's too much, but much more God. You don't do that for something that's not serious. Uh, What Abraham is wanting here is actually later explained by Moses. When talking about the Canaanites, uh, Moses wrote, You shall not intermarry with them, giving your daughters to their sons or taking their daughters for your sons. Why? For they would turn away your sons from following me to serve other gods. Marriage wasn't just romance for them like it is for us today. I think romance is a big part of marriage, but in our culture today we kind of lack something when we make marriage all romance because marriage was about worship also. Who you marry and how you marry directly related to your ability to stay faithful to God. We can see how that can be true today too. And guess what? Israel famously failed at this. Famously. Not only did their intermarriage with the Canaanites contribute to being exiled from the land, they did it again when they got back. Ezra asked them, and he asked them, post-exile, after all this judgment that came upon us, shall we break those commandments again? He's he's referring to them intermarrying. In other words, the Israelites were an unfaithful spouse. And the key to remaining a faithful spouse to God is through familiarity with His will. It's it's knowing that He not only prohibits it, but why He prohibits it. Psalm 119 says it this way, I have hidden Your Word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Church, be familiar with God's will, which He has given you in His Word. This is what Paul meant in Romans 12. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Which which means, guess what, for Christians, we still have renewing to do. God has renewed us in Christ, but we still have some renewing to do in our own heads. Because, we got a lot of junk that we bring to the table. So be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. So, so read it. Read it as often as you can. Read it every day. Read it prayerfully. Right, don't just go and, and just read and say it's done. Read it prayerfully. Ask God to, to meet with you. Dwell on it. Meditate on it. Write about it. Journal about it. Familiarize yourself with His will. But but being familiar with God's Word has a goal. We don't want to just be familiar with it just to be familiar with it. It's not just to know a lot of Bible knowledge, but to know the God of the Bible. To seek Him. And see him. Because, guys, God is, is real. I don't know if you ever pause to reflect on that, but, but God is a real, living person. So that's why the second element of faithfulness is so important. Faith in God's revelation. Really, the, the main character in this chapter isn't Abraham. It's not Isaac. It's not even Rebekah. It's, it's the servant, isn't it? The servant features prominently in this chapter, and, and the servant displays great loyalty to Abraham. I mean a great loyalty, which we'll see as we move on, but that, that what's what we're trying what the Moses is getting us to see is the loyalty that the servant displays to Abraham is of the same essence that exists between God and Abraham. That that those words steadfast love that exists between God's covenant with Abraham. And and so, why this is important is because it shows us what the servant actually believes about God and how Abraham's relationship with God has now affected this servant. So the servant goes on his wife or request to find a wife for Isaac and there is this sense where it might not work out. Abraham tells him, she's not willing to follow you, then you'll be free from this oath. But This servant actually has an incredible grasp that this isn't just my master Abraham sending me on this. This God is actually behind this. When he prays, he says this. Verse 12. Oh Lord, God of my master Abraham, please grant me success today and show steadfast love to my master Abraham. Then, then he makes the request about the uh, woman and offering water, and he closes his prayer in verse 14 by very much the way he opened it. By this I shall know that you have shown steadfast love to my master. So so keep in mind, Abraham is, is addressing God in a, in a really specific way. Now let me ask questions of you husbands, or even if you're not a husband, you can probably imagine this in your head. Suppose you want your wife to make you a meal. How do you ask? I kind of feel wrong saying this. Woman, make me some food. Well, unless your marriage is unhealthy, that's not how you address her. Right? Uh, If you want her to answer your request, you must engage her not as how you want her to be, but as she truly is. Right? She's your Beautiful, loving, faithful wife made in the image of God. Now let me ask you this. How do we know that God will not only hear, but answer our requests? The servant doesn't just make a a prayer to just like God in, uh, in general, right? He makes a prayer to God as he truly is. God has revealed Himself as the Lord God. When you see those four capital letters, L-O-R-D, and they're all capitalized, that is God's covenant name, Yahweh, right? The covenant God of Abraham who has set His steadfast love upon Abraham. And that's how this servant comes before this God. He, he knows that he can only approach God in a specific way and it is through how He has revealed Himself to Abraham. the servant's success and his confidence that his prayer is going to be answered is because, not because he thinks this is a good idea, not because he thinks, like, uh, I'm a good servant, but he bases it all on how God has revealed Himself. And this, this is exactly what I mean by, by faith in God's revelation. In, in other words our confidence in coming to God in prayer that that He will hear and answer, how do we know? It's based on that He's revealed Himself to us as the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if we come to Him in faith as the God of Abraham, the God of the Lord Jesus, then we have confidence that He hears us. And we have confidence that He'll answer. He has stooped. Think of it this way. God has stooped down so that we can know who He is. So that we can seek Him. And that we can have confidence that He will be found by us. We must believe He is who He says He is and that He delights to hear the prayer of faith. God loves it when we approach Him how He has revealed Himself. This is why we don't address God as mother because He hasn't revealed Himself as mother. He's revealed Himself as Father. He delights to be called Father. He delights that we pray in the name of Jesus. So it's a faith that He is who He says He is, that He's real. The third element for faithfulness uh, praise for God's assessment. And I'll explain what that means. Immediately after the servant makes this specific prayer, this young woman appears and does exactly what the servant prayed for. Hallelujah. That's easy, right? Like, a lot of us are like, God, what's your will for my life? Make it clear. And it's usually not so clear as we want it to be. But man, God really comes through right here. And, and the point is to show that this is Far more than a coincidence it 's to show us that that God is is orchestrating what 's happening and there's three things that that are mentioned about Rebecca that um, stand out in this passage okay the first is her appearance all right it, it tells us explicitly that she was a very attractive in verse sixteen the second is her character in verse eighteen. She not only pulls out water for the servant, but, but water for his camels. She pulls water for ten camels. I and mean, that's a lot of work. a lot of work. I've never watered camels, but I can imagine pulling water from a well for ten of those bad boys is going to leave me sweating, right? So that, that reflects her character. And the last is is what we see is her adornments, right? When the servant sees that God has answered just as he prayed, he adorns her with, with jewelry there in verse 22. And this is a way of uh, for the servant to show approval. That's why he adorns her. He shows approval for who she is and her demeanor. And and you can see this because if we didn't even know what giving her jewelry meant, he says it in verse 26. Bless, or he worshiped the Lord and said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not forsaken his steadfast love and his faithfulness toward my master. As for me, the Lord... Has led me in the way to the house of my master's kinsman. So listen, the delight, or I'm sorry, the servants, not just like cool. I'm so happy that this worked out. There's there is a delight over what God has provided in Rebecca. So he displays not only with a familiarity with God's will, faith in His revelation, but love for what God loves. That's what I mean. When when I praise for God's assessment, that merely means love for what God loves. Listen, if we are to be faithful spouses to God, then we must root out every love of our heart that isn't in line with His will and seek to love and adore what God cherishes. My father-in-law is great at getting, getting Andy's rewards because he loves Andy's. He loves ice cream in general, Andy's in particular. And, and reward cards are pretty much useless if you think the place is just okay. right? If, if it's just okay, you're never going to fill it up enough to actually get the reward. So, in the same way, we're not called to just think, Oh, this is, yes, I agree. We're not just called to agree that this is good or see that it's good. We're called to love what he loves. We're called to, to love his, his justice, love his judgments, love his disciplines. Not just love the easy things that are easy to love, but love the things that are hard for us. In, in this passage, I. I don't know if there's much of a connection, but it reminded me of 1 Timothy 2. And and Paul says, I want women to dress modestly with decency and propriety, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or expensive clothes, but with good deeds appropriate for women who profess to worship God. What Paul is doing in this passage, and, and as an example of what I'm saying, is he's trying to change our assessments from what the world praises to what God praises. Nothing inherently wrong with jewelry, braided hair, all that kind of stuff. I like braided hair for what it's worth. Um, Sounds weird. I like braided hair on my wife, okay? Um, but, But he's trying to get us to praise good deeds, good character over these things that the world normally just looks at and praises. Praise for God's assessment so to stay faithful to God we we learn to love and adore what God loves and adores and so after after the servant um, meets Rebecca right that's kind of the end of of 28 where we read to uh, he meets her family and and the meeting with the family takes up the largest chunk of this chapter it takes up about 30 verses but it's here that we see the fourth element of faithfulness loyalty to God's ways what's important to point out here is that there's two sections that we have the family speaking and in between them is this long retelling of the story right the that he meets uh her family they speak then the servant gives this long retelling like we just read it word almost word for word servants retelling the story and then the family speaks again and there's a few things that happen here for us to notice, okay? Just follow along. The first is that we meet Rebekah's brother, Laban. Uh, Laban, you might know, will feature prominently later in the Jacob story. But second, this is, uh, this is a really important thing. As they give the servant food in verse 33, look down at verse 33. The food was set before him, but he said, I will not eat until I have said what I have to say. Then, like I said, he he just retells everything we've just read. And it's really interesting because Moses could have just said, before I eat, I need to tell you this story. And so the servant retells the story. Moses literally could have said that. Instead, Moses has him retelling the whole story here. And he writes the whole story again. And the reason I think he does that is To reinforce that this is no ordinary matchmaking that's happening. And this is no mere human exploit. All of this is from God himself. The servant hasn't come to do anything except the mission of God. He frames it in terms of his master Abraham, but this whole story and its retelling in the servant's mouth shows that he knows this is this is a mission from God. How often do we get sidetracked from the mission of God? We make excuses to delay it, or we make excuses to make ourselves not feel so responsible. Entire church bodies get sidetracked from the mission of God when instead of Scripture, we're more concerned with attracting people Merely attracting, I should say. Instead of seeking the lost, we're concerned more about culture wars. And and instead of the gospel, we're more concerned about all these other secondary issues besides the one that has the power to save. Entire churches get sidetracked. This servant displays a loyalty to the mission of God, to the ways of God. He's not here... To get sidetracked he finishes his story and in, in verse 49 he says now if you're going to going to show steadfast love and faithfulness there's those famous words again read loyalty if you're going to show loyalty tell me and if not tell me that i may leave essentially he's not here to do anything else but accomplish this mission and and, and even just a few verses later the servants or the family's like let Rebecca stayed 10 days and he's like, No, I'm I'm not going to do it. The the mission is is urgent. So, Proverbs 29, verse 18, I think um, says this in, in a really good way. It says, Where there is no prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint, but blessed is he who keeps the law. It's about loyalty. Right? Loyalty happens even when we're pressured to go off course. Like what happens to the servant here, or, or when it's difficult. That's what loyalty to God's ways means. It's, it's a commitment. It's a commitment that you're loyal to His ways when you're around other people, around different groups of people, uh, and a loyalty to His ways when you're alone. Faithfulness happens when this kind of loyalty to God's ways becomes our conscious goal. We don't just float into loyalty to His ways. We have to be conscious. The final element, enjoyment of God's grace. I know I I said this is a love story, uh, but Isaac and Rebecca, they don't actually meet until like the very end. They just have like six verses together. Uh, and you might be the cynical type and think, this isn't a love story, or whatever. Uh, but I would encourage you to watch a romance movie. Uh, my viewing of romance movies has risen exponentially over the last eight years. Um, for some reason or other. A particular movie... Like I don't know if you guys have seen Sleepless in Seattle. Like they literally don't meet until the very end of the movie. So yeah, I would say this is a love story. Okay. Anyway, Isaac and Rebecca meet, and they immediately fall in love. Now, I don't think it's a coincidence, right? If you read in verse sixty-two, Isaac had returned from a place called Beer Lahai Roy. Roy. I don't think it's a coincidence that this is where he comes from, because if you remember, God meets Hagar and she names the place Beer Roy because right she named God as the god who sees me and upon his return Isaac sees Rebekah and i don't think it's a stretch to say that just as god saw Hagar's need and provided for her he's doing the same with Isaac and Rebekah They meet, and shortly after they get married, and the the very last line, the conclusion, so Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. Listen, the point that I'm trying to make is actually really simple. Because one key aspect of Israel's disobedience and their judgment was that they didn't take time to enjoy God's graces. All the ways that he had provided for them. Worked in them and through them. How he protected them and delivered them over and over and showered his love on them. Psalm 106 is so helpful for this because it's a lament about how Israel has just failed over and over and over again. God does this. God gives this. God shows them this. And they just fail. And over and over and over again, he contributes it to one thing. They forgot. He writes in a couple different places. They soon forgot what he had done. They, they forgot the God who saved them. And this, this forgetting isn't like a, a mental like, oh yeah, Yahweh, like, oh, I forgot he existed. It's not that kind of forgetting. It's a forgetting as they fail to enjoy who God is and what he had done. In, in, in essence, what they did was, They took what He gave them and just kind of moved on with their lives. And so a key aspect of faithfulness is enjoying all of God's graces. God graces us abundantly in creation. The laughter of our our own children or our grandchildren. The smell of fresh air. A warm summer night, right? When uh, July 4th, we drove around looking at fireworks, and I just was grateful for God's grace to give us a warm summer night with fireworks. The ability to, to walk and to, to see and, and hear. The, the taste and texture of food. And as I wrote that line, I was thinking of Raisin Cane's fried chicken, right? Just beautiful, wonderful, crunchy, juicy chicken. It's His grace. And it's meant for us not only to enjoy that, but to enjoy Him for that. God is the one behind that. God is the one and the architect behind the crunch of fried chicken and the juices that come out when you bite into it. Like, that is awesome. And how abundantly has He graced us in salvation? I mean, who who can speak of the vast amount of mercy He shows us every day? Who can speak of the faithfulness He displays to you despite faithlessness to Him? That His Spirit works eagerly in you to make you more holy. His Spirit isn't living in you reluctantly, but eagerly. Who truly knows the extent of what it took when the Lord Jesus died on the cross for your sin? Enjoy His grace, church. Don't forget them, remember them, call them to mind, give thanks for them and and seek to feel thanks for them. And if you don't feel thanks, ask God to help you to feel right. Enjoy his grace. Just like Abraham, God had a mission as well to get a bride for his son. And instead of sending a servant, God sent His Son to find her. This bride was wayward. This bride was dirty. This bride was sinful. This bride wasn't seeking God at all. But in the greatest love story ever told, he was unswerving to his mission. Loyal to the last. To redeem for himself a people for his own possession. He did what His bride could not. He paid for her sins and washed her to make her pure. He was faithful to His spouse, which means He had to go to His death because of her and for her. And He remains faithful to her even when she messes up and she fails and sins and goes astray. Look, When we get married, the person that's standing in front of us at that altar, we don't know who they're going to become in 20 years. Jesus, when He married us, He knew perfectly who we were and who we would be, all of our sins, all of our strains, all of our faithlessness, and He united to us anyway. God becomes our husband in Christ who loves us with a faithful, committed, and divine love. And God is faithful to you today because Christ was faithful for you. And if you don't know this Jesus, then you have no confidence that God is your husband at all, but God wants to be your spouse. And He wants to save you in Christ. But you must repent. Repent of all your other loves. Repent of all your sinful loves. And trust in Christ. But I want us to respond to our husband. The Lord Jesus. Respond to Him for what He has shown us in His Word. and Let's respond to Him in song and in prayer this morning.